Welcome, everybody, to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, fresh off of one of the best games I have seen in 2021. And, I mean, that's sort of tongue-in-cheek. It's one of the best football games I've seen. I call the Sam Houston State and Southeast Louisiana game on Saturday night. Man, what a game, 43-38 and Sam Houston State. And Stephen F. Austin going to be joining the WAC in 2021. We talked to Casey Keeler last week about it. Boy, it was really, really a fun ball game to do. And Mark Vandermeer, who joins me now, the voice of the Texans. I'll tell you what, spring football is pretty darn cool, man. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Johnny. Johnny, let me ask you this. Should maybe Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, or even FCS as a whole think about spring? I know they make a lot of money playing these FBS schools in the fall, yeah. big checks and everything, but – I still think there's room for some of these leagues, not the Ivy because of the tradition, but the Patriot League or somebody to maybe think about playing in the spring because you'd be the only thing on TV. I know the XFL will start back up eventually with the COVID vaccines taking hold, but what are your thoughts on that? I don't think it's a bad thing. In fact, the whole time I was driving up to Huntsville for the game, I was like, man, it's February. I kept telling myself it's February. I'm going up for a football (laughs) game. And there was a good crowd. They had just finished a Sam Houston UTSA baseball game at my wow. buddy's stadium, Don Sanders Stadium, right there on the campus. And I was like, man, this is wild. Could they have a weekend of basketball, baseball, and football? And I was told no, uh, that they wouldn't have that. But I was like, this is kind of cool. You know, you don't have you know yeah. football, but it was a really good crowd. And it was, inter- it was just a really, really good football game. All the way around. But here's the one thing that I – here's the one reason I don't think it would happen, Mark. And that has to do with coaches. Here's what I mean. Talking to Casey for a production meeting during the week, he said he lost two coaches, his O-line and his D-line coach, that when the FCS seasons were over and those schools were not looking for coaches, they went to Sam, saw two coaches they wanted – Brought them in January, oh. and all of a sudden, Casey's scrambling to find coaches. And I should say scrambling, but he, he's now having to look for coaches. And he knew who he wanted in both spots. He was kind of prepping a couple guys in preparation for it. But still, I think that's a really tough one for FCS teams. Not only do you lose those, those checks against the, the FBS schools, you might lose a coaching staff to those to FBS schools and start looking around and going, man, what do I do? Casey figured it out. He was able to find uh, a couple of guys that were on staff that he felt very confident in. One was a former offensive lineman for him. But I think that would be a bigger issue across the board for FCS teams, losing coaches to FBS schools uh, after recruiting period, after bowl games, after championship, et cetera. And that could be more of an issue uh, than it turned out. And I think Casey handled it perfectly. They had, I don't know, four or five weeks to kind of get everybody on board. Um, But – I don't disagree with you. I think it was it was great. It was a great Saturday because you had North Dakota State got upset uh, by Southern Illinois, number one team in the country. You had the game that we had a top twenty matchup with Southeastern Louisiana and Sam Houston. Uh, Sam Houston. It was a really good weekend for FCS football, and I think there were more eyes on it um, because it's really it was the only football going. So um, it was definitely interesting to be there to call that game during the during the. Um, the spring and I'd be curious to see what our buddy Cecil Shorts had to say about that being that he played 
at Mount Union, a Division III school, whether he would have liked to have played in the spring. But we'll hear from Cecil later in the show. It's our good friend DP Sidhu put up with him. We'll do gut reaction to things going on around the league. But, Mark, we got to start. There's a lot, there's a lot of news yep. that came down on Monday, I don't know, starting maybe about 10, 10.30 in the morning, something of that magnitude, and just kind of kept going uh, throughout the day. And I want to just get your thoughts on the various things. The official announcement of three signings that you and I have talked about, Cornell Armstrong, Dontrell Hilliard, and Buddy Howell, those three, all third-year players, they have signed their contracts with the team, staying with the team. Then one that we got on about two hours before the show, and that was the Texans released the following player. And I, I stress the word player because I don't know that even when he came here that we thought of him as a player. We sort of thought of him as maybe a player coach, counselor, um, whatever you wanted to call him. We do see coaching in the future, but I think the fact that the Texans have officially released Josh McCown does make some news because I think all along we've thought about him, Marcus, being a part of what's going on here in Houston, just not knowing exactly what role it's going to be. But we do know it won't be as a player, but it's going to be as something more than likely as a coach. We don't know that for sure, but we just know that the official release uh, came down today saying that he was released after 18 years from the aforementioned Sam Houston program. Well, you know what I like to say about Josh McCown, and I always like to point this out, is that he was part of the class that brought you David Carr and Joey Harrington and Patrick Ramsey. Those are the three first-round quarterbacks that year, 2002, and McCown was in that class. And that just strikes me because you had a quarterback from that class on this team last year. He wasn't going to play, of course, unless there was a total disaster, but he was on this team, and I just thought that was kind of – Unique, cool, whatever. Josh McCown, I thought maybe they'd keep him as a player until they signed him officially as a coach. We don't really know what's in the works here. And there's a lot of assumption that he's going to coach with the Texans. He interviewed for the head coaching job. But is that really going to happen? Is it not going to happen? We don't know. They haven't released the roster of assistant coaches yet. There are a lot of reports on who's got what role. But I got a feeling that some of these titles can change by the time they release that coaching roster. And I don't think they're ready to do it just yet. Maybe because they're defining those roles or exact title salaries. And that's all affected. It all mixes up together a certain way. Uh, But I'd like to see him stay around. I mean, a lot of people feel anybody who's been in contact with him virtually feels like he has the makings of a very good NFL coach at any level, assistant, head coach, maybe eventually a head coach. So We'll see. I'd love to know what that interview was like when they interviewed him for the head coaching job. I'd love to know those questions and answers. You know, that's the stuff people really want to see, Johnny. Let's see those hard knocks moments, interviews with head coaching candidates (laughs) that didn't get the job versus ones that did. You know, I'm not just here everywhere. You know, I just think it would be so interesting. But of course, you're really not going to see that kind of stuff. So yeah, McCown, Uh, Being released as a player is news. Texans lowering that salary cap uh, hit, if you will, in in toto. So what you have here is much more room than you had when the offseason began. And I think they're going to create even more room. And free agency starts in, what, two and a half weeks. The legal tampering starts in less than two two weeks. weeks. So bring it on. Let's see what happens. Yeah, no doubt. You're right. 
Uh, David Carr went one overall. Joey Harrington went three overall. And Patrick Ramsey was the last quarterback selected in the first round that year. The next quarterback selected in the third round was Josh McCown. Yep. There's some quarterbacks drafted this draft. I remember these names. Brandon Doman, he was out of BYU. Steve Bellasari from Ohio State. Mm. There are a couple of them. I have no idea who they are. Seth Burford, Jeff Kelly, Wes Pate. Those are the last three quarterbacks drafted in 2002 draft. And I don't have any idea who these guys actually were. And Josh McCall was still on NFL sideline as an active quarterback uh, this past year. So, man, he's – whoo. Hey, hey, see, the next year I drafted Drew Henson, see, and I flipped him for a sixth-round pick with the Dallas Cowboys, see? <laughs> so I can, I can make those moves. Got Dave Ragone, third round, first-round value, maybe. Huh? See? Yeah. Josh McCown <laughs> gave everybody value wherever, wherever he went, no doubt about that. Then, a little while later – uh, just about lunchtime, we had seen a report. Now, we have not gotten the official announcement on this, sort of like with Josh McCown. The, uh, the release of him as a player went official. We don't know what's going to happen as a coach, confidant, whatever. We don't know that yet. Through sources, we have heard that the Texans are expected to re-sign three restricted free agents, tight end Farrell Brown, safety A.J. Moore, and defensive tackle, again, keeping the same Houston theme going, defensive tackle, P.J. Hall. Mark, your thoughts on those three potentially coming back? Well, you know how – look, I know you like P.J. Hall an awful yes. lot. He was one of those guys, very difficult not to notice him uh, when the season got rolling, how he would make an impression on that D-line. He would crush the pocket. He would definitely prevent movement on the line of scrimmage uh, more often than not. And – I'll never forget you and I doing training camp shows and he's working out on the side field because they were ramping him up. It was the yeah. COVID ramp up and also probably just getting him into football shape. And I thought, is this guy going to do anything? I mean, what really are, I get it. They picked them up, but it's a flyer and he ends up starting. Yeah. So I think that's great because you need value on the defensive line. That's cool. I like Farrell Brown. We'd have a really nice visit with him on the Tuesday Texans players show. Uh, right after he caught the TD against Cleveland, a bad game for the Texans, but that was the one moment that deserved some attention because he's from Cleveland, and it was a great story. He said members of the Browns were actually congratulating him because they knew him because he had yeah. played there. And A.J. Moore, look, we had a mic'd up with him and his brother C.J. on Thanksgiving, and I'm happy because that means we can play that over and over again. Now, I'm, I'm also happy because, Johnny, he's a good special <laughs> teams player, and he can play for you as a safety, spot duty, whatever. Maybe he wants to do a whole lot more. We'll see. I'm sure you know he'll get opportunities. So I think these are really good. This is not like lead sports center. You know, I mean, you have the Watt <laughs> thing today, but yeah. never mind that. We've got these – these signings here, and they haven't announced them, as you said, but uh, those are reports, and I, th I think those are team strengtheners. Those are little, you know, as you're, as you're building, whatever you're building, those are bricks, and those are important. Yeah. So uh, we'll see where they go from here, obviously. You and I have talked about the, the nickel position. I know those guys play that position, but uh, we're, I was saying the other day that, that Mike Hilton is arguably the best nickel in the league. Yeah. If he's not, it's Kenny Moore with the Indianapolis Colts. And I guarantee you when Kenny Moore was claimed off of waivers by the, from the New England Patriots by the Indianapolis Colts, nobody batted an eye like, eh, okay, no big deal. But how many teams in the league right now would love to have a Kenny Moore sure. uh, and the plays that he's able to make? So are you going to get that production out of A.J. Moore, Farrow Brown, P.J. Hall? I, you know, who's to say? But 
you're right. Those are those are strengthener, strengtheners of your roster, if nothing else. And if you hit on one of them, like the Colts did with Kenny Moore, you know, finding something at the Walmart bargain bin, if you will, and that movie turns into be Citizen Kane, then <laughs> so be it. Uh, that's that's fantastic. That'd be awesome. Um, if if uh, you don't get that much out of them, well, okay. You didn't have to break the bank to do it. You're taking eh, a little bit of a risk because you you know never know what players will do down the road. But those are three players that have given you something in particular roles over the last couple of years. PJ for last year, obviously Farrell for last year, but AJ for three years since he's been with the Texans after being claimed on waivers. So I think there's something to be said for these guys staying with the squad, building at depth, and then obviously uh, trying to improve this team even more through unrestricted free agency, like you said, when the new year, league year starts. But most importantly, uh, when the draft hits in April 29th, the draft is next month. Ooh. The draft is next month. Say that 10 times. The draft is next month. Well, it, I can't know, wait. It, it's, it sounds great because – this offseason has been weird, let's be honest, right? Yes. And who knows what's going to happen for the rest of the offseason. But, man, once you get into April and get to the draft, you feel like the clock really starts running and, and we get so close to opening day and who knows what it's going to be like. But I can't wait for the draft. You know, I know that the Texans don't start picking until the third round, but you have enough selections to still make it very interesting. It's always interesting to us. We have plenty to talk about. And I think that when you look at whoever they get this year, you also have to look at who they got last year and how those guys can improve because they didn't really, you know, they didn't make big headlines either. So you need to see, you talk about year one to year two improvement. You want to see some of that big time this year. This is just not, it hasn't been good enough yet for those players. And look, I know they are clinging to every chance to win every game this year. We talked about how close some of these games were and mm -hmm. 10 one score games and they won two of them. Uh, and maybe it just, you know, obviously just didn't work out, but I'm eager to see how these guys shape up in year two. Yeah, no doubt. And they have to, as a combined rookie class, they started four times. That was the lowest in the league last year. So this, this rookie class, now second-year class, hey, step up and start making some plays. A lot like a guy did when he was drafted in the fourth round in 2011. That was Cecil Shorts. He will join the show next with our good friend DP City right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back, everybody, to this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And it's time for our good friend, Cecil Shorts to join the show. He joined the Texas in 2015. I wish we had more time with him. He is absolutely fantastic. Here on Sports Radio 610. He is also on the football coaching staff at Second Baptist. Cecil does a little bit of everything in this town, and we are the better for it. Here he is with our own DP Sidhu. DP, take it away. Cecil, welcome in. You've been out and about in the community. The Texans are out and about in the community. Um, because so many people were still without power, without water, had busted pipes or had lost like the Houston Food Bank and kids meals lost their supply of food. And I see you out in the third ward um, with these food trucks helping out the community. What was that like? I'm, I'm sure that felt great to be able to give back like that. Well, first things first, the Houston Texans do an awesome job of finding any way to get in the community, whether it's you know something big like you know, what happened with the winter storm or not. They're consistently always in the community. So that's awesome. But 
it felt really good because I felt what they felt, right? I understood exactly where they were coming from. It was people there with kids, it was people there, their grand, like, you know, grandparents, and they had no water, they had mm. no food, they had no, still had no electricity. And they would talk to you openly and they hear the stories. Um, it, it was amazing. It was just one grandmother um, and she said, we have nothing, no water, no food. We lost everything from the storm. And um, she was like, "My, I'm taking care of my grandkids because my daughter passed away three years ago. Oh, so she, she's not even around to be. And I'm like, and her, her kids are older. It was like 12, nine and six. So they were all, you know, they knew their mom. So just to hear stories like that and be able to um, bring some type of joy, some type of happiness, even if it's for a small period of time, pass out food and to pass out waters. And at the end, we started just giving out cases of water like here. Let's, let's just make sure they have something because mm-hmm. people didn't have water at all. Um, and you think about it, how you how do you flush toilets? How do you, you know what I mean? How do you make yeah. food? How, how do you do certain stuff? How do you drink? So um, it felt really good to be out in the community. I know it was, it was a bunch of different stops. I think about four or five food trucks. Yeah, they had I'm five food trucks at five different locations. And I think they, you, overall, it was about 1,200 meals that got passed wow. out that day. Because they were just going to wow. do it until they ran out. Wow. And all those food trucks, the Texans sponsor the food trucks. And they, I mean, they looked like some good food. I don't know what you all were serving at your location, but I was like, I need to hit up some food trucks. It, was, it looked good. Matter of fact, because we ran out of food. So they went to Frenchie's and they ordered some Frenchie's and Frenchie's gave like 50 meals to wow. whoever, whoever was there. So it was, it was really good. I think the food truck we had, I can't remember the name, but it was some type of nacho place. And it was smelling good. Yeah. It was smelling good. I'm like, can I get one? I'm like, no, let me focus. (laughs) Like, I don't have to hit on the food. I know, because I I actually wrote a story about it. It's up on HoustonTexans.com. You were one of like a number of Texans legends because they had former Texans players at each location, at each of the five locations. Some of them had like multiple players there as well. And so, and, you know, we've got current Texan players that did a lot in the community too, handing out foods and and food and waters um, to, to those that need it out here in Houston. All right. So then... Winter storm happens and, you know, it sort of ties into community service and giving back to the community because it was our Black History Month initiative, which uh, you and I were really, we were just moderating the sessions. It was like an hour long during your lunch, virtual session. Um, We brought in these guests and, you know, I think the first day kicked off. I mean, it started off really powerful because we started off with uh, the, the first day's theme was early migration of African-Americans to Houston and the development of churches and neighborhoods. So we had Priscilla T. Graham, who's a local historian and author and photographer, and and Jacqueline Bostick, who is the great-granddaughter of the Reverend Jack Yates. And you got to go with Miss Graham on a tour of Freedmanstown here in Houston and sort of learn about the early freedmen and where they actually settled in Houston. What was that like? Because I saw the video, I saw you going on the tour with her. We actually showed that to the entire company, but what were your impressions when you saw Freedman's Town? How much did you know about it? How much did you learn uh, on that? Well, I didn't know anything about it. So um, my first time even hearing of Freedman's Town was going to the actual place. And um, Priscilla T. Graham is so knowledgeable. She knows so much about um, the area and about the, uh, how they, you know, not transported, but how they moved to um, that area and, and started their life and started living. Um, they were former slaves and just to see everything they had to go through and how they built their own homes and just the just the history of things. Um, even the details of the house were so interesting, like um, in the, at the at the corner of every block will be the nicest house. Right. That's the person that had the most money. So they wanted to show off or you know, just show the street or whoever's driving by. This is the nicest house on the street, which is really cool. Mm. But on the houses, 
in the front porch or the back porch there, if you can see my ceiling here, it would be blue. Okay. And I'm like, why is it blue? And it's to keep the wasp away. And I'm like, oh, oh. that makes sense. They think it's the sky or whatever, and it keeps the wasp away. I'm like, why don't we do that now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so He's about to paint away. his uh, porch ceiling blue now. That's so cool <laughs> because it's it's still a lot of the original houses and yes. they preserved yeah. them, right? Yes. So I think um, Mr. Jack Yates' grandson's house we were in, we went to three of three different houses. Mr. Jack Yates' grandson's house we ended up going in. Mm -hmm. um, I think 80% of it they kept from the original home. Wow. So it was it was pretty cool. And it's, and it's interesting, like some of the wood is really sturdy. Um, just some of the things that they created, they made. And I, I just learned so much. You know, I didn't know a lot of stuff that they were talking about that, you know, African-Americans created or were a part of or um, just some of the struggles they went through. And um, it, it was just really neat to go in Freedman's style and understand how they got there and the process. And, and just I'm thankful for what they've done. Honestly, You know, it's something that you don't see too much of, like preservation of historic landmarks. You know, I think we talked a little bit about gentrification, how now, you know, because when I moved to Houston, downtown and midtown were very different. And it's, there's always this push to let's buy the land and build something new and, you yep. know, really revi revitalize the area. But like, that's the first time that I saw in Houston, something that was, you know, from the 1860s, 1870s preserved in its natural form, because I feel like everything else in Houston's pretty much shifted over to something newer. Um, and then our, the second land, the second part of the tour that you went on was the Antioch Missionary Baptist Church, which was the yeah. first real brick structure built by African-Americans and owned by African-Americans here in Houston, which that is also very much in its original state, other than a few expansions over the years. But what was that? What was that like visiting that with Miss Jacqueline Bostick? That that was interesting. Um, I knew I've heard of the church. It's, it's a big church. But to know that Jack Yates and his friends and family built that from the ground up and that it's basically still in this original state is is amazing to me. I mean, the original pews were in there. Um, there's a lot of historic stained glass windows. Some of that stuff was um, still there from from the beginning. So it's, it's amazing um, just what history and what all went into that church. and. Um, just the people that I mean, it's, it's like a staple almost. You know what I mean? Mm. It's a staple of of, of Houston. It stood there through the test of time. And uh, Miss Bostic talked about how many businesses and people just wanted them to move to, like you said, justification. Just wanted them to put something else there, whether it's a parking lot or a building or whatever. Just revi yeah. revitalize that area. But it, it's it stood the test of time, and um, it, it was pretty cool just to sit to her and learn more about Jackie H. Because I heard about Jackie H. High School. Mm -hmm. you know, did some really good was, things. That's where George Floyd went to high school. Was Jack George Floyd went there? So you, you heard about it, but to mm -hmm. understand more history coming from his uh, is it great granddaughter? Great granddaughter, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to hear seven generations attend that church, which was mind-blowing. That's, that's impressive, and, and it shows. It goes back to really, and one thing I think I took from that first day is really embracing and knowing and cherishing your history and being yeah. proud of it, right? And I don't know if today we all are really proud of our history as we should be. You know what I mean? Let's learn about it. Let's take it in. Let's teach our kids about it so we can pass it along. Like, hey, your great grandfather did this or we own this home, whatever the case may be. That's really important. I think I learned that for the very first day. I mean, I think especially since African-American history is so young because after, yeah. because before slavery ended, there really wasn't anything to preserve. There wasn't really land ownership or businesses or, or anything to say that this was our own. But as soon as 
you know, desegregation began, you know, after the 1860s, like the first churches and the first houses, the fact that those are still standing, that's so powerful because you knew exactly what, you know, you can't, I mean, you, you, you've learned, you, you obviously never know or understand what those early African-Americans went through. And then all of a sudden they're building houses and they're building churches and they're building the community from the ground up. I, I just thought it was, it was so powerful. We've got those uh, videos up on HoustonTexans.com. All right, so then day two, we switched gears. We had two really fun guests. Um, I didn't know they were going to be as fun as they were, but uh, Harris County Precinct 1 Commissioner Rodney Ellis and then the Houston Urban League President and CEO Judson Robinson, they were talking about the civil rights movement in Houston, and they were really good friends. So they were telling stories and, and, and you know, to, to hear from two guys that were part of, were, were around when desegregation in Houston happened, which... I had learned over the past month or so that desegregation in Houston was very different from how it happened in Birmingham, Alabama, where yeah. you see the water hoses and the police and the fire. It it kind of happened behind closed doors. It happened in a day. There was a lot of TSU student sit-ins. And then yeah. there were some leaders of the African-American community that met with business owners and said, hey, you know, you don't want negative publicity. Let's uh, let's try to come to an agreement. Let's Let's desegregate. Let's let's try to integrate this city because we've got NASA. We want to get a professional sports team. You know, the only way to make these things happen is to not put that perception out there that Houston's a violent place to be or a violent place to live. So let's do it peacefully. Um, and I thought that, I thought that was uh, that was a really fun hour. I mean, what what did you take away from from those two? Well, those two are fun, like you said. They, uh, you can tell they're good friends, and they talked often because they were just. Once you got Commissioner Ellis, you asked him one question, he went ever, and then he, <laughs> he, he kind of went through our whole <laughs> syllabus for the hour, like in the first twenty minutes. I was like, okay, well, um, I, I guess I should just let you just lead this because you seem to have a lot. Of, you you have so much knowledge here. Yes, and they were going back and forth, and you you probably remember, and he was talking about his dad, um, Commissioner Ellis was talking about Mr. Robinson's dad. I thought that was really interesting, but the. To piggyback what you were saying, how they desegregated and how they, I think, they, I think Reverend Lawson called it the three amigos, him and mm -hmm. two other guys, different races, different religions, um, how they came together and said, let's do this behind the scenes. So it was no media involved, similar to what you said in Birmingham, where you've seen the, the dogs and the, and the hoses and everything else. They did a really good job of coming together and being able to unite together and i think today that still stands whenever whenever we go through a tough time in houston we sometimes we always some some way we always come together you know what i mean no matter what it is if it's a hurricane if it's a winter storm right it comes together so it's it's just it makes sense it kind of correlates okay they did this back then and it still goes on today i thought that was that was pretty cool yeah it makes you kind of proud to live in houston because you're right i mean i think after hurricane harvey i just remember we were traveling with the team and, and we got diverted to Dallas because we're coming from a Saints preseason game. And I just remember watching the news and seeing like all these different people in Houston, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, everyone helping each other. And, you know, it, no one really cared what race anyone else was. And, and there were these huge long lines, like at the food bank and all these other places, not to get food, but to volunteer. Like they had so many people that wanted to give back and wanted to volunteer. Like, you know, I, I just thought, that made national that made national news aside yeah. from the storm the the houstonians yeah. and and how everyone people were getting in their boats and saving people yeah. out of their houses their pets and their their family members it just so powerful and i think that it kind of came full circle when you learn about how how houston began all right so day three which i mean i i shouldn't say i had a favorite day cecil but i think day three was my favorite day because it was uh i think the first two days were heavy and i felt very <laughs> nervous 
I was telling you, I was like, I was so nervous doing this, but uh, by day three, I felt like, all right, we have two under our belt. And the third day was, was called for the culture. So it was African-Americans um, and their, you know, uh, the, the, the dent that they made, the mark that they made in an arts, culture, entrepreneurship, music. So we had some really cool guests. We had uh, Texas Radio Hall of Fame broadcaster, Ralph Cooper, who had been covering sports since the late 60s, uh, Bun B, rapper, professor at Rice, you know, entrepreneur himself. And then Chris, Chris Williams, uh, the owner of Lucille's restaurant, which if you haven't been to it, it and it's in the museum district, it's a uh, Candace, Candace Mayberry calls it bougie soul food. And I would agree with her because um, it's a really good. It's a really nice restaurant. And then they serve like some amazing, amazing food. So you have to check it out. And, and they were nice enough to provide lunches and meals for everyone um, during this winter storm, I don't know. I, I forget how many meals he said, like in the thousands of meals that they provided yeah. to people that yeah. needed, I want to say 1500. And then they also provided lunches for the Texans employees, just sort of put a bow on, on the black history month initiative. But what, what did you think of day three, just having, being able to interview those three and then all three of them together at the end there? Well, I was just excited to, to interview Bum B and <laughs> me too. Was, same. That, same. That was, that was pretty cool. And it, I mean, it's just, um, to, and to learn more about him, you know, he's not necessarily from Houston, but I believe Port Arthur, if I'm not mistaken, right. but how he cares about Houston and wanted to, he moved here to, you know, help his career. And it obviously it worked well, but to hear the knowledge that he had outside of music, right. The knowledge you can do about the community, about giving back to the community, about, um, you know, supporting black owned businesses and how music is really helps people get through different things and how they, people are using their platforms. And then Mr. Cooper, Man, he, he was probably my favorite, to be honest, just because, you know, we're in sports. But sure. yeah, his knowledge and recognition, like uh, his memory of knowing or remembering so many different eras and so many different moments in Houston sports was amazing to me. Right. He's talking about Earl Campbell playing linebacker in high school. High school. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he saw Kobe like, Bryant as a kid because Kobe Bryant's dad played for the Rockets. For so the Rockets. Like, he was like, My oh yeah, he was this little was kid. Like, I mean, he's just been around. He's seen a lot of different players over the years. And this, that, I think, so I think talking to him was awesome. And then uh, Chris talking about his initiative, because I believe he was featured on ABC. Uh, the Good Morning ABC? America. Good Morning, right. Good Morning American. Mm -hmm. uh, Good Morning America, excuse me. Um, for his initiative and what they're doing there and how he's, um, you know, he, he got he got in depth about how it's important to support black owned businesses and how it's, it's important to, um, you know, be be your own boss, be be a, a, a business owner. So I, I thought it was cool, different perspectives. And then we talked about it off camera when they got together and all three of them were talking, you were giving a and a It was amazing. That like was they could they could have talked for hours. <laughs> They had so much mutual respect for each other. And Ralph Cooper kept making fun of Bun eating at Lucille's. He's like, well, I know that you've been to Turkey Leg Hut. And I was just like, he's calling Bun B fat. Is he calling Bun B? But he was so funny. And I didn't Bun's know whether to laugh or not. I'm like, this is always, I'm like, so they gotta be friends or. <laughs> they didn't care. They were, and they were, Chris and Bun were so in awe of Ralph Cooper. Like they were they like, were. he needs to be preserved as yeah. a relic of Houston, because the knowledge and like you said, everything he's seen, because obviously um, I don't know as much about Chris Williams, but we know Bun B's a fan of sports, but it seems like Chris was as well. I was lucky as an employee of the team to be able to hear those conversations this week led by 
DP and of Cecil. That was very, very cool. And there's more of it over at Deep Slant, the podcast, where you can get in the lab, Vandermeer's View, and DP's Deep Slant. You can hear that full interview with our good pal, Cecil Shorts. All right, Mark's going to come back, and we're going to do a little gut reaction and go around the NFL next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. One final segment of this edition of Texans All Access on a Monday evening from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, alongside Mark Vandermeer as he jumps back in. Mark's time for gut reaction, going around the league, and you know where I'm going to start. Yes. The NFL is going to have 17 games. No, I'm kidding. Number 99 (laughs) is going out to Arizona, your gut reaction. Well, when I first heard it, I was surprised, to be honest with you. I know that this was floated out there relatively early on in the Watt free agency period, the few weeks of Watt free agency. Yeah. But when I heard that this was the destination and he was the one who broke the story, source, and he's wearing the Arizona shirt, lifting weights, whatever, I was a little surprised, Johnny, because I figured he was going to go ring chasing. To me, this is not ring chasing. This yeah. is – you possibly could get it done in Arizona. Look, up-and-coming team, young quarterback entering year three. They have Hopkins, obviously. They've got some assets, no doubt about it. And Watt does make that defense better. But is that the difference? Now, I know it's still early in the offseason. We haven't even had free agency yet. They haven't drafted yet. Maybe Arizona's got other things up their sleeve. Maybe it's going to be tremendous for them. And maybe they sold him on whatever their plan is. But on paper right now, there's no way I would favor them to win a Super Bowl, obviously. And I don't think I'd put them in the top, I don't know, top six of teams that have the best shot to win a Super Bowl. But whatever makes him happy. I think he'll be happy in Phoenix. It's a great place to live. I'm sure he's probably talked to Hop about it, you know, when he was shopping around. And maybe J.J. likes it warm, you know. Maybe he's thinking, I like it warm. I like Houston, Phoenix, you know. It's a little – it's a dry heat. I'm going to go there and and enjoy my winter. (laughs) I don't know. And enjoy the money. I mean, it's good money, Johnny. Yes, it is. What I want to know is what he turned down. Did the Packers offer – you know, something, was it a lot less, you know, look, I can't, obviously it's JJ's decision and he's going to do what he's, what's right for him and his family. But if you really want to ring to me, it's green Bay or Tampa Bay. Those are your best chances. Not that there's any guarantee because we all know, but people who tell me, Oh, well, Mark, the Packers, the Packers went the back-to-back NFC championship games. They're one Watt sack away, perhaps, or a sack fumble away from going to the Super Bowl the last couple of years. You could be the difference there. I can, probably paint that picture for you a lot easier than I can in the desert. So that's my gut reaction. Okay, gut reaction to this one. We've talked about this a little bit, but there are some – it's now starting to kind of come into view, and that is the 17th game. Peter King, through his – it's not Monday morning quarterback, Pro Football in America, Morning morning in America article, whatever it is now. Anyways, he stated that the 17th game – would be a matchup based on your standings in the division. And for 2021, it would be the AFC South and the NFC South. So essentially, it would be who you matched up with in 2019 based on that. Yeah. And that would be the Carolina Panthers. And that game in all 17th games of that ilk would take place in AFC Stadium. So the Texans would get, apparently in 2021, a ninth home game for the first time ever. Your gut reaction to that? Well, that means you get three preseason 
games no matter what, and you get one home preseason game and two road games. So the NFC will get the two home preseason games, and then they'll flip the following year. Right. Now, King wrote something about Watson rumors. I think it was a week before, maybe two weeks before, and he mentioned Carolina, and he said – the Texans don't play Carolina next year. I want to say, wait a minute, they do play Carolina because I knew about the 17th game and I knew all about – we talked about this, that it right. would be Carolina because we knew this was coming down. So I think that, uh, look, it's a team that you really don't know much about yet because they're going to reshape the way they oh, yeah. are heading into yep. 2021 just as the Texans are. So we don't know what to make of that part of it, but – I like 17 games. I kind of wish there were double buys. The Super Bowl is going to be played a week later, so yeah. I believe it runs into that uh, President's Day weekend, right? Yes, it Now does. you're going to get the national holiday on Monday to go along with Super Bowl Sunday. It's going to be a party, probably <laughs> better TV ratings than ever. And President's Day is one of those holidays where some people take it off, some people don't, but at least yeah. you have that option. Uh, the season's going to be longer. Why not? The NFL is going to own everything. And did you see this? They're thinking of two games on Christmas Day, which means, look, I feel bad for the NBA. You know, they owned Christmas Day, and now if Christmas Day falls on a weekend, the NFL's saying, we got this. Take a back seat because it's going to be all NFL all the time. And why not? I mean, the league's crushing everything in its path. Yep. It's the only thing that gets huge numbers on television consistently anymore. Look, the Golden Globes last night, with no lead-in from an NFL playoff game, it happened a little bit later, and a streaming format or however they did it, it, it got killed in the yeah. ratings. The NFL dominates everything, and why not? So yeah. let's have 17 games. Yes. Okay. So now I'm going to get you a reaction to this one. Because I've heard this rumor. This rumor's been out there. Peter King then, after reading this, I saw this part that he wrote about. What's your gut reaction to a Monday night wild card round playoff game? I'm fine with it. Remember that the Saturday game, and the Texans are very familiar with that Saturday wild card weekend game, right? Yes. yes. After a Sunday game, that's a short week. So if you're playing a Monday night and then you're guaranteed, if you win, to play Sunday the following then it's week. okay. That's fine. And you know what? Huge numbers and the college football national championship will be the week before. So you don't step on that. I think that was a big deal for them. They didn't want to go head to head with that. Right. And for some reason, they can't talk to the college football people about, hey, you want to play on Tuesday? We'll play on Monday. They just didn't want to do that. Because yeah. college football, you can play any number of days because they're out of class and they their season's over. It doesn't matter. They don't have next week, yeah. right? So I, I think this is going to be great. This is going to be great. I did like the triple headers, though. I really did enjoy that, Johnny. Triple header Saturday, triple header yeah. Sunday. Now you're going to have double header Saturday, triple header Sunday, and one Monday night game, or however they decide to set it up. Here's what I realized. I, I like the triple header. But by game three, I was like, oh, <laughs> you're done. I'm gassed, man. I mean, I know you're just watching football, but, yeah. you know, really being focused in for mm -hmm. three straight games, I'm like, you yeah. know what? Let's cut my focus after two games right. and move that on to Monday night, and then I'll be able to, to watch it and get my focus back for Monday night. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with it. I'm with you. Once you get to that part of the season, the guys, they're not banging pads in practice. It's really a mental exercise at that point of just getting the game plan in, you know, staying fresh, keeping the legs fresh and all that kind of stuff. And, yes, it is one less day 
but you get an extra day preparing for it. Mm-hmm. You just lose an extra day on the other side or lose a day on the other side. I, I, I don't mind it. I would much rather have playoff games on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, following the national championship. I mean, how great is that? You end the regular season, and the next day is the national championship game. The next week you've got playoff football, and that extends to Monday night. My goodness. I mean, that it's would be feast. outstanding. Outstanding. It's a feast. And what people don't understand, why well, a lot of our listeners understand because they're really plugged in, but the most popular sport in America is pro football. The second most popular sport in America is college football. That's how it is. I mean, that, that's a fact. The NBA, Major League Baseball, they are down, okay? It's football and then football, <laughs> professional then amateur. So you just got to give into it and enjoy it, and that Monday night playoff game is going to get gargantuan numbers. Mark, over the weekend, a pioneer in some sense passed away in the broadcasting world. The NFL Today on CBS was one of the great, not only pregame shows, but just at that point, it was a groundbreaking at that point. Right. As a pregame show. And Irv Cross, longtime player in the NFL, passed away this weekend at 81. And I bring that up, Mark, because we obviously are both in broadcasting. Not so much a gut reaction here, but your thoughts on the person or people that really were instrumental. And I bring it up because the NFL today was really, when I was growing up, I remember watching that group. I remember watching Irv Cross and thinking, yeah, man, maybe one day that would be fun to do, to do broadcasting. What person or people was it for you? And after seeing Irv Cross news, what were your thoughts? Uh, To me, it's Dick Stockton. Oh, good one. CBS NBA crew. Yeah. Doing those NBA finals of the 80s, those epic finals. and Yes. You know, you've got Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. You had Larry Bird and Akeem Olajuwon. You had Dick Stockton doing the play-by-play. And he still sounds really good. Look, it might not be exactly the same content, but he still has that voice, those pipes. But Irv Cross, that NFL Today crew. Look, Johnny, I don't even remember the NBC crew. Of the 70s? Forget it. In the 80s, I think it was um, Len Berman. And I forget, you know, Bob Costas eventually in the booth. Uh, in the uh, studio for NBC, but Brent Musburger, you are looking live at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. I mean, I got chills. Yeah. They set it up so beautifully, and they had the perfect crew with Irv and Phyllis George and Jimmy the Greek. Yes. It was epic stuff, and many of us just started our football baptism with them, and that's yeah. why this one hit us hard. Yeah, that exactly. Jimmy the Greek talking about point spreads? I mean, it, <laughs> Way I before mean, his time. Way, way, way before his time. No doubt about that. And, Mark, we are out of time. I appreciate you for joining me. Thank you very much. A big thanks to Cecil Shorts, to DP Sidhu, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. And, as always, go Texans.